Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Dr. Hannah Pressman. Hannah is affiliate faculty and the communications director for the Strom Center for Jewish Studies at the University of Washington. She received her Ph.D. in modern Hebrew literature from New York University. Besides the memoir genre, her scholarly interests include translation studies, Yiddish, the cultural history of Zionism, and Jewish language philosophy. Hannah is co-editor of the anthology Choosing Yiddish, New Frontiers of Language and Culture, and a contributor to Jewish Rhetoric's History, Theory, and Practice, and is currently at work on Crossing the Bosporus, a multi-part series about her great-grandmother's life, which brings to light the untold stories of Sephardic women. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to join me today. So um, we were getting ready here at the Yiddish Book Center to send out a New Year's card greeting to our members. And I was looking through the collection that we have here of some holiday postcards and began to wonder, as many of us did, about the history of the cards and at the same time happened upon your article. And I was wondering if you can share a little bit about how these New Year postcards came to be. Sure. Um, well, first of all, it's a real honor to be here speaking on the schmooze. <laughs> um, the the postcard genre, um, as I discovered myself, has a really, really interesting history in the late 19th and early 20th century. And um, I'm standing here on the shoulders of my teacher, Shalom Sabar, who's an art historian at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And he has written extensively about the postcard genre in Eastern Europe. Um, and he himself actually has albums and albums of these cards from all over the world. So he has a personal collection, and also he has a, a scholarly expertise. So a lot of what I know about them is, is based on his research. Um, but it, it really seems like it was this coincidence of um, the technology being, being available to mass-produce photograph people and then mass-produce these cards, and then also... Um, the urban Jews in the early 20th century had this awareness that um, the, the Jewish ritual ways of life in the shuttle were, were disappearing and, and were endangered. And so these cards became very popular because they were a way of capturing scenes, um, in some cases authentic shuttle scenes, um, and then in other cases staged uh, pictures using actors and costumes. Um, but these cards were a way to um, freeze in time this way of life uh, in, in Eastern Europe that, that was disappearing. And so Jews in the metropoles uh, loved uh, sending these cards around, and it was a way of kind of marking their own history um, as it was disappearing. And uh, what's fascinating is that they're coming back in, in vogue today, and so there's a kind of doubled nostalgia going on because the, the Jews in the early 20th century who used these cards were already nostalgic for a Jewish way of life um, that was disappearing. And now, and when we see the cards, we feel nostalgic as well. So it's almost on a meta level that the nostalgia is, is reproducing itself. And um, I gather the postcards, they sort of became very popular in, like, what, like 1870 or some, so. Um, and there was, there was a German company that was sort of the, at, at the forefront of printing these. Correct. So um, Professor Savar dates the height of the production and demand for the cards as between 1898 to 1918, so kind of a 20-year span right at the turn of the 20th century. 
And the, the industry itself did start in Germany and then kind of migrated over to Poland. And what he points out is that they, there were kind of different purposes and different approaches to the industry in Germany versus Poland. I won't get into mm-hmm. all of that. But, um, yeah, so there were actually several different publishing houses in Germany and, and in Poland. He lists a few of them, Verlag Central, which was the one that um, produced the card I wrote about in my article. There's one called Sinai, Lebanon. Um, others named for um, the publishers or photographers. So there, there were actually several of these houses, and um, they had sort of troops of, of actors, of, of people who would, would put on either modern dress or, or traditional dress and um, reenact these scenes, sometimes based on uh, Jewish art from the 19th century, real you know paintings. They would place people in ex- evoking exactly the same positions as, as people in the paintings, and... Um, reenact these scenes of, of Jewish ritual life. It's, it's very, very interesting. So that explains, um, I was always curious because they are like little tableaus, and you're wondering mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what, what were they documenting, but these were actually set up with the idea of creating the postcards based on these photographs. Yes, absolutely. Um, so they're, they're, they really prized that um, authenticity, right? Like you said, documenting this um, the Jewish way of life, um, but it's also kind of funny because they're, you know, like you can't take a picture on Yom Kippur, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you know, operate a camera. So to to create a scene of you know a family group walking to services for the holidays, you know, they would have to do that during the week, right? So that wasn't completely authentic in some cases, but um, it really was uh, this desire to um, to capture these these ritual acts uh, sort of as they were happening. Um, but there is, it is a kind of performance art, and it isn't completely authentic uh, all the time. Then again, some of the um, street photography that happened, particularly in Poland, are real authentic pictures of shuttles, you know, the, the streets of the shuttle, the, the, the folkways and the, the people there. And in some cases, they're the only remaining pictures we have of some of the buildings and the structures and these towns that were wiped out. So um, in some cases, they're actually very valuable historical um, testimonials um, to places that we can no longer see. We had a postcard show, well, it was a, a show that included postcards here at the center years ago. Somebody had put together this amazing exhibit about, uh, it was a story, a narrative. Anyway, postcards mm-hmm. were included. And she had mentioned to me in passing that it became very popular for Jews who immigrated to the States to have a professional photograph done and then create postcards that then were sent back to people. Um, yes. So I guess yes. that so was a whole other part of this industry, yes? Correct, correct. So then, you know, it's almost like the dawn of the selfie era. <laughs> right. A hundred plus years ago, but absolutely, when the industry hopped over to America and people were able to start um, documenting their own family lives and prosperity uh, in the, the Golden and Medina, and so they could start putting themselves in, in uh, these postcards and send them out around the world and connect with their families, you know, who lived dispersed in other places. So it definitely took a new twist uh, once people could start placing themselves into these, into these postcards. I have, I have some of my own uh, from my family who were, um, I, I'm Sephardic on one side, Ashkenazi on the other side, um, but there, I have some from the Sephardic side of, of my own grandmother and her children in in postcards and you know on the back these were they left some blank and saved them you Mm -hmm. know just they're in the family 
stash. Um, but, you know, they were real postcards. They had lines for to write the address. They had a spot for the stamp. I mean, they really you know, did it all the way. So it's um, that's a neat uh, sort of coda to the story, and it really makes me think about um, how, you know, Jews wanted to present themselves to their families, um, also to remember for themselves, you know, to capture that particular moment in their family's evolution um, in the States. And then also it's a matter of self-presentation to families who were elsewhere in the world. Uh, so it really is a, a pretty remarkable moment. And the the postcard that you write about in your article mm-hmm. came to mm-hmm. you through a friend, correct? Yes. Um, so I sometimes, when people find out that I have fluency in Jewish languages, sort of generally, that they start confessing to me about various heirlooms that they have or things that they would like translated. And um, if I have the time, I'm happy to take a look at at their materials. And so I have a friend um, in the Seattle Jewish community, Peter Melman, who had a, a stash of postcards that belonged to her family in South Africa. And she wanted to know if I could take a look and sort of see what I could find out. She knew I had a, a side interest in, in genealogy. So, and I was all too happy to, to take a look. And her hope was actually that maybe I'd write the article and, you know, put the, put the postcard up there and someone in the world might recognize this, the people in the, in the picture and um, write to her, you know, somehow make this connection all these years later, which, I, which was, it was very poignant hope. Um, and then, you know, I started doing the research and found out that for the most part, especially for the um, Verlag Centrale, which was the company that made the particular card I focused on, um, they weren't, you know, the, the writers of the postcard were not the people in the picture. They were these actors putting on costumes and appearing in stage scenes. So um, unfortunately, it didn't result in any big reveal um, or, you know, a family member somewhere else in the world um, writing back to her and saying that, oh, yeah, I know that was Aunt so-and-so. <laughs> but um, what it did spark for me was an interest in these cards, which generally is emblematic of their time and family correspondence as this kind of mystery that we get to unravel. And so it sort of started this whole other research direction for me. So beyond what was written on the back, you write about what's featured on the front. You refer to this as the balloon postcard, and unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> we're audio. So this mm-hmm. is this really wonderful image of a couple in a balloon, a hot air balloon, with three sandbags and um, mm-hmm. a life preserver. And I wonder if you can elaborate for our listeners, because it, it's a really interesting story in terms of what it says on there. Yes. Well, um, I actually was really drawn to the hot air balloon image because I don't know if you've seen these other uh, the postcards that were circulating circulating on social media uh, this high holiday season. Actually, there's a lot of airplane images. Um, immigration was, you know, a hot topic in the teens and twenties in the in the 20th century, and people were often depicted in in airplanes, either a woman alone or or a happy couple. Um, but this is, you know, an old-school transportation means that, that is highlighted in this postcard, a hot air balloon. So that was, that was one thing that I, that I was drawn to. Um, so, yes, the, I unpacked the kind of concepts that they write in Yiddish on the, the side, the things that are hanging from the side of the balloon basket. Um, and so there's a Glicklich Sukant, or A Fortunate Future, um, Dolaren, Dollars, Liebe, love, and a tri-height uh, faithfulness or devotion. And so I was 
Zoo, just trying to interpret right? all we can do with these images is, is, is try to assign them some meaning. Um, so when I was writing an article trying to interpret the, you know, why would love, dollars, you know, fortunate future and devotion be the values that are put on these sandbags, I kind of was just playing with the idea of, you know, what what's going to be your your uh, life ring, you know, in the, in the journey of life, what's going to really keep you afloat. And so I thought it was it was very Jewish. It was very Manchi <laughs> that um, chai hai, that devotion was the word on on the life ring. Like the other things on the sandbags, um, those other things will you know help you have have a good life. You know, dollarin dollars. You know, that's you know a great marker of success. You really want to find love, um, but but having devotion and having um, faithfulness is going to be your life preserver. And so you know. Uh, I felt that that was a very, um, a very Jewish Jewish value to have that be the, the thing that's going to really if the balloon goes down right in the, mm-hmm. in the sky. I mean, the, you look at the sky on in the picture; it's they're in a sunny clearing, but there are a lot of dark clouds around them. Right? It's not completely, um, you know, one hundred percent happy necessarily happy scene. Right? Um, so if the balloon goes down, if the clouds take take over, at least you you've got your devotion, your faithfulness. Uh, to your community, to your people, uh, to keep you going. And to one another, they're a very earnest-looking couple who look mm-hmm. a little apprehensive holding on to the ropes <laughs> connected to the balloon, <laughs> yes. and to one another. Um, so it's wonderful yes. to yeah know know what's going on there a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a time a time of uncertainty, you know, in the, the 20s and 30s, um, when this was, you know, we were trying to guess what could have been going on in the family and... Um, you know, it, you can try to, to put the pieces together. Um, they they definitely um, have a have a questioning look look about them. Which um, who knows if that actually reflects the state of mind of the person who um, wrote the postcard. But it's it's definitely it's a fun guessing game to play. Both what was in the minds of the the actors who were staged in the the photo and what was in the mind of the person why they picked this card. Right? Was mm-hmm. there something in this image that that really spoke to them and where they were in their life. So it's definitely a fun guessing game. And there are a lot of images. I mean, I remember going Mm -hmm. through the the small collection that we had here and being kind of wowed by what all the different options were. Yes, for sure. And um, I should mention there was an exhibition, a curated collection of postcards that was at the Jewish Theological Seminary back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And um, the catalog is available. It was published uh, a year later, I think. Um, The exhibition was called Past Perfect, the Jewish Experience in Early 20th Century Postcards. So you you can really see there the full array of, of scenes, you know, from kids and angels to, you know, old men going to prayer, and then these modern couples and balloons and airplanes, um, there, there really is quite a variety. And I have to ask before I let you go, do you have a favorite that you found? Oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, I guess my favorites are the, the ones from my own family that were, you know, they actually took their own images and, and put them on the front of the cards. Those, to me, are, are really, really special. Um, and the fact that they left them blank, I can kind of write my own message, write my own story to go along with them, which is uh, pretty exciting as a, as a budding genealogist and um, scholar of Jewish languages. It's neat to, to have that blank slate and to, to just wonder about. Well, I really appreciate your visiting with us and shedding some light on these wonderful gems that 
have a history, and it goes beyond just the image. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, they tell us a lot about what that period was all about and what the messages conveyed beyond the the personal message. So thanks again, and Mm -hmm. um, wishing you a Happy New Year as well. Yes, I guess you are to you. (laughs) Um, And we look forward to your next article. And before I let you go, could you share the um, website address so our listeners can read your blog? Yes, absolutely. So um, I write for jewishstudies.washington.edu. That's the website of the Strom Center for Jewish Studies at the University of Washington. And we have regular blog articles that are published on a variety of subjects. Um, Notably, we have a steady stream of pieces coming out in the field of Sephardic studies. I know that uh, Professor Devinar has spoken a few times at the Yiddish Book Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have all kinds of amazing artifacts uh, in Ladino, which is Judeo-Spanish, um, and other languages that have artifacts that have been donated to us by the Sephardic community here in Seattle. So we have lots of great research and pieces coming out uh, from Sephardic studies. And then we also have a lot about um, global Judaism and looking at uh, digital media and how it's intersecting with Jewish studies today. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff. Great. Out of it. Um, we'll keep writing and keep being curious. Thank you so much. It was uh, great speaking with you. All right. Nice to speak with you, Hannah. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Alexa Sewing. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.